save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Sowing the seeds of cannabis and sounding the praise of our favorite plants, it's time to hemp present. Our radio resident hempo sapien Vivian McPeak will present a weekly platform for guests and listeners to hemp present about hemp and cannabis from the legal activist and reformist route. Let's round up and roll it up for our headmaster of hemp, Vivian McPeak. Welcome, my friends. I am Vivian McPeak, and this is the Hemp Present Resistance. I am the executive director of the world's largest annual cannabis policy reform event, the Seattle Hemp Fest. Speaking flower to power for 29 years and found at hempfest.org. I am also the author of the book Protestable, a 20-year retrospective of Seattle Hemp Fest, also found at hempfest.org. This show is a weekly read for Radio Rebellion, where I speak with some of the principal risk takers, movers and shakers and history makers of the cannabis industry, culture and reform movement. If you have feedback or would like to suggest a guest or topic for him present, email me at hempresent at gmail.com. Reverend Sharp has been engaged in faith-based social justice advocacy with organizations in Illinois for over 20 years. He was the founding executive director of Protestants for the Common Good, which he led from 1996 through 2012, and acting executive director of the Community Renewal Society after the organizations merged in 2012. In both positions, he helped to pass medical marijuana reforms in Illinois. Reverend Sharp graduated from the Woodrow Wilson School, Princeton University, with a Master's of Public Affairs in 1969, and received his Master of Divinity degree from the Divinity School of University of Chicago in 1996. He was ordained in the United Church of Christ in January 2007, and he's been kind enough to join me today. Welcome, Reverend Sharp, to Cannabis Radio. Thank you. Delighted to be with you. My pleasure. Um, Let's begin with why you have dedicated so much of your own focus and energy to reforming America's drug laws. In your eyes, what's wrong with our country's current drug laws uh, in general? Uh, so many things. Uh, the first thing to say 
uh, is that it's racist, uh, deeply racist in origin. Uh, that doesn't mean that everybody who views themselves as uh, involved in drug policy, uh, uh, even those who would say are put, putting forward the war on drugs, are, are racist. But it does mean that the origins are there and it infuses the entire uh, war itself. Um, what's wrong with it uh, other than that? Uh, which is pretty fundamental is um, simple is first of all the fact that it's failed. Uh, we're spending we spent over a trillion dollars and drug use uh, has not uh, been reduced. And the way I like to talk about it is to uh, ask people to think about uh, a religious concept called uh, the just war. Uh, Augustine uh, set forth principles of what would be considered a just war, uh, you know, many many years ago, uh, and the war on drugs today fails on almost all of those principles. Uh, a, a just war has to have a just cause. Uh, there is no just cause for the war on drugs when you look at the fact that, in my view, it's immoral to uh, arrest people and treat them as criminals simply for, for uh, drug uh, use and drug possession. Uh, you have to have a legitimate authority to fight a just war, especially when it comes to marijuana. There's not a legitimate authority. The, 60 to 70 percent of the of the public in this country uh, uh, would legalize marijuana if they have the opportunity, as we now have in uh, 11 states. Uh, the war, a just war, should be fought only as a last resort. Uh, the war on drugs is by no means the last resort to dealing with drug policy. The last resort should be treatment, not punishment. And the war on drugs gets that absolutely reversed. Uh, the war, a just war spares non-combatants. All you have to do is look at the cop shows on TV or SWAT teams that burst into houses, got uh, <laughs> folks that are hurt that don't need to be. And you look at children of incarcerated parents, folks who are in prison for nonviolent drug use, uh, you're certainly not sparing the non-combatants. The likelihood of success, you have to, you fight a just war only if you think there's the likelihood of success. And in fact, uh, uh, the war on drugs is, is, uh, a, a continuing failure. Uh, drug use uh, has not been reduced. Uh, prices have not been increased, if, uh, which they would be if you were limiting drug supply uh, and we're spending countless millions of dollars to no real effect. You spearheaded clergy for a new drug policy five years ago. I'm just curious, were there any specific experiences or moments that motivated you to expand from worship and witnessing to target drug policy? Was there a catalyst that inspired you to take these issues? Yeah, there's a very, there's a very, very clear line that uh, looking back uh, really was at work uh, with the group you mentioned in the introduction, Protestants for the Common Good. One of our agenda items was the whole question of re-entry and what happens to people when they're in prison and they come out. The idea that you pay your debt to society in this country by going to prison is one of our great uh, American myths. There is really very little second chance uh, when you when you go into prison. So we were looking for ways to help people with reentry, and went down to Springfield, our state capital, and began to take a closer look at who is in prison. And we found that so many people uh, who were in prison shouldn't be there. They were there for nonviolent, low-level drug offenses. And uh, once we realized that, we began to say, "Hey, we got to take a look at why so many people are in prison who shouldn't be there, especially given the racial." origins of the war on drugs and the discriminatory drug law enforcement and that made us realize we had a much larger problem with re-entry we had a problem of who was going to prison in the first instance 
you've said that drug reform is, quote, absolutely a Christian issue involving compassion, mercy, and forgiveness. Um, Al, there's no shortage of conservative churches, religious leaders in America that generally support drug prohibition, uh, characterizing drug use as some sort of moral or character failure. I'm just curious if you've had any kind of reaction in terms of pushback uh, from the religious community or any opposition in your own congregation or outside sources? Yeah, first of all, in terms of my own congregation, I have not been a pastor of an individual congregation. My entire uh, uh, work has been uh, advocacy, working with individuals in congregations, but not as the pastor of a single congregation. So, okay. in fact, what that does is give me a very good overview uh, of, of the religious community which has to be seen as much broader than, quote, just the religious community. Of course, there's pushback, but let's start with the notion that uh, there, there are many diverse communities that I've worked with and that we all should care about. Uh, and if you take, for example, at one end of the spectrum, Unitarian Universalist, they published a statement of conscience in 2002 that could be the entire agenda for clergy for a new drug policy uh, from the days that we started it to, to today. Uh, they uh, realized that the war on drugs was misguided, uh, that the issue was uh, uh, treatment and caring, not punishment. Uh, they, they anticipated the whole notion of harm reduction rather than abstinence only. Uh, they realized that, uh, uh, for example, clean needles should be an alternative uh, provided to anyone who was using drugs rather than simply arresting people for drug use. Um, so I would start with them as one end of the spectrum. Then you look at the mainline uh, congregations. Uh, uh, many will say that we're, uh, you know, there are, they don't ban alcohol use. They're a little bit muffled on uh, what ought to happen with uh, drugs other than alcohol. Uh, Presbyterians uh, had a report about two or three years ago called Health Not Punishment as a response to drug use. Uh, they called for the decriminalization, although sadly not the full legalization of marijuana. But then, of course, you get to the evangelicals who, or Catholics, who for different reasons, I think, both say all drug use is bad. Uh, and uh, uh, in the case of Catholics, uh, and I've debated a couple of bishops in different states around the country in my travels, uh, they simply say the Pope says all drug use is bad. Therefore, marijuana is bad and all drug use is bad. And they say that based on notions of natural law, which I don't fully understand. And I would leave it to a, a, a literate Catholic to explain more fully than I can. Uh, evangelicals uh, are against any drug use, I think. And again, they should speak for themselves. But my understanding is that they think primarily in terms of personal salvation, their orientation is less social justice and what we do for society as a whole uh, than it is for finding the uh, card of passage uh, into personal salvation. And they have a pretty clear sense of what literal sins are, which depend very uh, strongly on a literal reading of the Bible. And you can find anything you want in the Bible if you choose to proof text it. Uh, they proof text it to say that all drug use is bad. Uh, and uh, so there's a lot of pushback. I don't, uh, now that's over characterizing some evangelicals, uh, uh, but I think those generalizations are, are useful. 
So we have to talk about the broader religious community and the pushback certainly comes mostly from evangelicals and from Catholics. The problem with mainline Protestants uh, is not so much pushback as, as silence, uh, which means that they stigmatize people who are struggling with addiction and that's very destructive. And uh, I wanna change that. We have a little over a minute until the first break. Um, kind of, kind of continuing what you're just saying. Is there, are there specific Bible references? Are there, is the Bible saying anything about intoxicants and drug use? Are there references? Yeah, that, like, it, it, as I said, I, the word, the operative concept is proof texting. Uh, you, we need to read the Bible for its broad themes of love and justice and the covenant of God with the human community through history. Uh, but you can find almost justification for almost anything you want to do by picking two or three particular texts in the Bible. Certainly that's what evangelicals do uh, when they talk about uh, sexual orientation, LGBTQ communities. Uh, even though there are only two or three passages, they base an entire stance on that. Uh, you can find that. The, the, and concerning drug use, uh, it speaks mostly to... Uh, alcohol and and uh, uh, there are certainly passages that speak uh, about uh, the the dangers of uh, drunkenness uh, intoxication but let us start with the notion that jesus turned water into wine uh, so what are you going to do with that people talked about jesus as a, a glutton and a drunkard uh, what are you going to do with that uh, uh, that's what i mean when i say that you can uh, find almost and you, you can find things, statements in the psalms and then Proverbs about wine gladdening the heart. So it's very dangerous to use the Bible for any particular narrow purposes without doing so in the context of God as love and the broader themes of the Bible. My guest is the Reverend Alexander Sharp. We're going to take our first break and come right back uh, with more questions for Reverend Sharp. Time to roll out for the people that let us hem present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Plant Profits. I'm Vern Davis, and I'd like to introduce you to some of the most forward-thinking executives and companies in the cannabis industry. We call them the Plant Profits. Each week on Plant Profits, we talk to the people at the forefront of the industry, creating real companies and career opportunities. We'll learn from the people leading the charge into the promised land of profit. Plant Profits is powered by Protus Global, people solutions firm that has been building companies, changing lives since 1995. P-R-O-T-I-S global.com, Protus Global. Find Plant Profits now at CannabisRadio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. 
This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA free and lead free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. And I'm back with the Reverend Al Sharp from Clergy for a New Drug Policy. Um, any pushback, in, in, any any direct cannabis uh, connections to, to any pushback? Yeah, uh, I, I, as I said, the, the audience that I'm trying to reach is I work to legalize cannabis or medical marijuana uh, in the various states, depending on where they are, either of those two, uh, is, is mainline Protestants. Evangelicals aren't going to change easily, and uh, nor are Catholics. Uh, but for the mainline Protestants, uh, you know, the denominations that you think of from, you know, Methodist, Episcopalian, Lutheran, Presbyterian, uh, sure, I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving someone out, United of my own, <laughs> the United Church of Christ. Uh, what happens is that uh, individual clergy uh, are very responsible, responsive to the notion of uh, legalizing marijuana. Uh, the only constraint, and, and, and that's not surprising, 60 to 70% of the public in all of the states I've been, and I've been in 10 or 11 or 12 now uh, throughout the country, do support that. Uh, but they are concerned, uh, understandably, about the fact that even if you know 60% or 70% of the public support legalizing marijuana, that leaves you know 30 to 35% in their congregations who don't, and they don't need a battle uh, on this, uh, unless they absolutely feel they have to have one, and so what they, what I suggest, and what they're quite prepared to do, is to allow me to use their title, uh, their name, and their personal address, and then they will sign a petition. In some cases, they'll testify, and uh, we we get a great deal of support. I should also say that when it comes to medical marijuana, which is now, as I'm sure you know, legal in 33 or 34 states, clergy are. are uh, overwhelmingly is not too strong a word to say that they support that. It's happening in blue states, of course. It's happening in red states. Uh, one of the red states that surprised me two years ago was Oklahoma, which uh, legalized uh, medical marijuana uh, with a very strong uh, majority. Uh, had the coronavirus not to hampered travel, I would be uh, in Nebraska as we speak, uh, working with clergy in Nebraska to uh, place medical marijuana on the ballot. Uh, so clergy are supportive of medical and uh, as individuals, uh, very supportive of uh, legalizing marijuana. Yeah, my organization, we did a uh, an event in Oklahoma a couple of years ago with former Senator Connie Johnson. Um, and I was I was really surprised oh, to yes, see- I have spoken with her. Yeah, yep. and yeah, she's great. And uh, I was really surprised to see the huge reception that we had. Um, is I imagine that I think it seems to me like the issue of medical marijuana has really changed the minds or at least created interest in uh, a lot of elderly Americans, which I, I believe yep. you know, at this point <laughs> probably makes up a large 
percentage of of the church. Um, yeah. And uh, it, do you think that 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 there's medical marijuana use within the church? Uh, oh yes, uh, there certainly is. I mean, I I had it. There was a church in South Carolina. I can't recall the pastor now, but I, I I recruited a lot simply by phone, cold phone calls. I mean, I. I, I did what you always do on a campaign. You start with people you know, and they give you names of other people, uh, and uh, I reach out through those contacts. And I did that and spoke to one clergy person whom I had known in a pillar congregation in Charleston, South Carolina, called the Circular Congregation. Wonderful guy. Uh, he was immediately supportive. He was delighted that I called. He tested. He went to uh, Columbia and testified in support of medical marijuana. Why? I think he had uh, his own personal experience, uh, but he said there are people in this congregation for whom this, you know, makes it possible for them to endure severe pain. And uh, uh, so there, and and it's interesting when you speak to the elderly, uh, there are uh, there are uses that I think they find uh, that makes uh, their suffering in some cases uh, more bearable. Uh, so I think that broadens the base. Uh, but what really developed the momentum is simply um, individuals knowing others who had been helped by medical marijuana uh, uh, in, in cases of multiple sclerosis, in uh, uh, cases of especially nausea related to cancer. When marijuana, medical marijuana passed in my own home state of Illinois, uh, it took us about three years to get there to get the remaining five or six votes. And in each case, I think the vote we got and that we hadn't had was from someone who came to know somebody who in a very basic, important way had been helped by medical. In this case, my own state senator got up with tears in his eyes, said, I'm supporting this because the last days of my father's life uh, dying from cancer would have been dramatically different if he'd had medical marijuana. It goes far beyond nausea, pains for cancer and multiple sclerosis. Uh, it has increasingly broad applicability, but um, all those instances that I've described could have been felt very much by individuals within congregations and were. I'm curious how, as you have stated from a religious, religious perspective, do the issues of compassion and forgiveness enter into your advocacy for reforming drug policy? Some would argue that people who are addicted to or abusing drugs commit property crimes or worse. I'm just curious if you see drug addiction as primarily a health issue, uh, and how important it is to create systems opportunities for the addicted to find a way out of the cycles of abuse. Yeah, it's absolutely a health issue. People are conflating two different things when they say that uh, people ought to go to be uh, prosecuted, arrested, punished uh, through incarceration or at least a criminal penalty uh, because they've harmed uh, others, you know, stolen to property to pay for their drugs. If that's what is happening, they ought to be prosecuted for those crimes. But you don't prosecute somebody only for possession or use on the possibility that they might have harmed others. But that's simply a, a, a conflation that is highly damaging and, and in, my just, in my judgment, unjust uh, and immoral. Uh, if I, I can't say it any other way. Uh, if, if folks are using drugs or possessing drugs, uh, they are not harming others. And in fact, what I think the biggest single thing we miss in our society about drug use is that arresting somebody, criminalizing them is an act of violence. Uh, my, my mentor, a man named 
William Sloan Coffin, who was a chaplain where I went to college, said, poverty is violence in slow motion. You know what? Arresting people is violence, not always so much in slow motion. You're ruining lives. You're taking away jobs. You're separating people from their family. If you give them a felony, you're making it impossible or almost impossible for them to get back on their feet. Uh, and if they're not harming others, uh, why do we arrest them? Uh, and so uh, that doesn't speak directly to compassion and uh, forgiveness, except to say that we see parallels to what I've just said. When you look at uh, how Jesus responded uh, to those in need, including those who were addicted. I'll bet um, uh, a lot of the healing miracles that we read about in the Old Testament were people that might have suffered from some kind of addiction. Uh, and of course, that depends on how you define addiction, but uh, I, th I think the generalization applies. He didn't say get to jail and then come back and I'll make you better. Uh, he said, go and sin no more to the woman caught in adultery, uh, which you, know, you might consider a sin or might consider addiction, depending on why she was doing what she was doing. But he certainly didn't punish people in the first instance. Uh, he healed them. Uh, he showed them that God loved them. Uh, that's who and what he was. Uh, and so how to say that you ought to be punishing uh, people for drug use is beyond my poor powers to, to comprehend. I would also say that the biblical passage, judge lest ye be judged, comes to bear here. Um, those who go around scapegoating people who are using uh, drugs and possessing drugs, uh, many ways I think are a little bit worried at what they in their deepest level uh, might be. And they want to isolate people so that they can verify their own goodness. I don't want to overextend that, but I think that's at work here. Uh, and, and, and But the basic simple answer to your question is Jesus uh, uh, it was one who brought compassion and forgiveness uh, in his acts of healing and in his message uh, more than, than anything else. And of course, in our society, uh, there's a lot of hypocrisy. It might just be that you're not doing the right drugs, um, right? Because uh, our laws are so, uh, selective. Um, and I also want to point out Jack Cole from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. He says it's easier to get over an addiction than it is a conviction uh, because you can. Oh, yes. And a conviction can be with you for life. Um, yeah. Well, he's one of the great pioneers in this whole area with law enforcement uh, uh, against prohibition originally and now, now for law enforcement for particular programs. Yeah, I'm a great, great admirer of, of his. Um, yeah, so I, and, and of course the, the, the notion that we define with any coherence what a drug is, that makes no sense. I always enjoy my debates with my Catholic friends uh, who, uh, you know, were against marijuana uses. They push back the second martini with me too. Right. Um, <laughs> I, the, what, I, I traveled, uh, I, I had newspaper exchanges in a kind of a point counterpoint way with uh, a person who's actually a good friend in Illinois, one of the early uh, uh, heads of the Drug Enforcement Administration, uh, who was violently, vehemently opposed to medical marijuana, and then was that was passed in Illinois, opposed to legalizing marijuana, which has now happened in Illinois. And uh, again, <laughs> I'm sure he enjoyed his his uh, alcohol, and of course we can talk about cigarettes, which are uh, uh, far more lethal than marijuana, certainly, and and. Uh, probably other drugs that people would consider crimes. Uh, and in some will say much harder to give up uh, yep. uh, than, than right. uh, heroin and, and other drugs. So there's no rationality about what a drug is now. It's evolved uh, for a number of... 
racial bias being no small part of that. My guest is the Reverend Alexander Sharp. We're going to take another break and come back for our final questions. Time to roll out for the people that let us hem present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Trends and technology, processes and products. We cover these areas and more on the cutting edge of cannabis. Be informed from the latest initiators of new innovation. Learn about the latest breakthroughs and best practices in the cannabis and hemp industries. Better products, better infrastructure, and better sustainability. The cutting edge of cannabis. Consulted by the American Cannabis Company. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. About a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put different celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Himping, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Dazed and infused. Join sugar industry expert Latham Woodward for a happier hour each week for a lively and often hilarious discussion on the infusion of cannabis into food, beverages, and life. Explore exciting new culinary landscape trends with fascinating friends and guests who are leading the industry into the uncharted mainstream. Discover curated menus, enhanced cocktails, and live tastings. Life's a little sweeter here on Dazed and Infused. We're back to Hemp Present, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. We're back for our final segment with Reverend Alexander Sharp. Uh, Al, we still have a couple minutes. Um, I, I, I've got one question. I want to see if there's anything else that you would like to add that we haven't covered. But do you think that it's a human right to have the ability to change your consciousness? Albeit, uh, 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 I, I do. I do want to add one thing about the uh, about the, the drug laws and the irrationality. As I'm sure you know, uh, marijuana is right now a Schedule One drug, of no accepted medical use, uh, great danger for abuse. Uh, that means that marijuana is classified as uh, equally dangerous with heroin, more dangerous than cocaine, and has no medical value. Let's just talk about the absurdity of that for an instance. For, for a moment and, and how you can have a federal bureaucracy that uh, won't yield that ridiculous classification. Uh, as far as uh, uh, a right to change one's consciousness, uh, it's a human reality over 6,000, 8,000 years. Uh, so it doesn't even make much sense to talk about whether it's a right. Uh, but I think it is a right. If you define a right as John Stuart Mill did in his uh, reference to the harm uh, principle, uh, the only possible reason to use force uh, against a person in a civilized society is to prevent them from harming others. One has to say, uh, what in what ways does drug use harm others prima facie? It can harm kids, and you've got to keep it away from kids. It can harm people who are already addicts, and you should keep drugs away from addicts. But as a basic human right, I think the harm principle has served us pretty well, and it also reflects reality. 
Jess Sessions was absolutely wrong uh, when he said all drug use is bad. I went through the fantasy of saying, well, if I uh, were asked to testify in front of Jeff Sessions when he was the attorney general and what he said, what he, when he, what I would have said in response to him making that claim that all drug use is bad. I think what one would say is that we should be concerned not about, um, we should be concerned about abuse, not use. Uh, I have never used marijuana. I don't have any particular interest, but I don't, uh, I don't see anything wrong with using marijuana. What we should be concerned about, again, is not drug use, uh, but about the abuse of drugs, because drugs are going to be used. They are in a reality in a society. And if, if we're so blind as to just say, all drug use is wrong. We don't make the property dis distinction that enables us to to uh, focus on abuse. And I'd like to leave your uh, listeners with uh, a way of thinking about how to respond to drug use and abuse that uh, actually stems out of my own university, the University of Chicago. Uh, do I have time to complete this? Uh, uh, yeah. It simply says that regulation and education are the right response, not prohibition. Uh, if you take things that are seen as vices, although I don't think you know drug use is necessarily a vice, but those things that are seen as vices because they give us pleasure, but they can bring harm, the right response is not to ban those vices, but to regulate them so you can control them, so you can do everything to fight abuse and, and keep people safe who, who are using them by limiting age, by making clear what it is that is actually being used. I find it highly amusing that people in our society say, well, marijuana isn't what our grandparents used. It's so much worse. Well, if that's the case, then regulate it. Don't ban it because people are getting marijuana. So put it through a marketplace screen so that people know what they're using. Uh, so I would, I would argue for abuse uh, as the thing to be concerned about, not use. Reverend Alexander Sharp from Clergy for a New Drug Policy found at newdrugpolicy.org. Thank you so much for your important work. I've, I've so got uh, enjoyed this conversation uh, and thank you for being on Hempersen. My pleasure. Now we're going to get to a weekly feature of Hempersen on CannabisRadio.com. That's the quote of the week, and here it is. There can be little doubt about a role for cannabis in Judaic religion, and that is Carl Ruck, professor of classical mythology at Boston University, referencing the anointing oil used by Jesus and his disciples, said to contain an ingredient called cannabosum, which has since been identified as cannabis extract, according to an article by Chris Bennett in High Times Magazine. That concludes this installment of Hibson on Cannabis Radio. I want to thank Brass from my man in the control room and all the Cannabis Radio sponsors and advertisers. Until then, my friends, when we're going to come back next week, stay strong, stand tall, talk it easy. Turn up to music, maestro. I'm out. Marijuana! The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is the story of the one. 
As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.